Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. We are the Fantasy Joes. I'm Ryan Livergood. Joining me as always, we've got Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Jordan McNamara. That's right. He is the person that you don't hear on the UTH Weekly Podcast. You only hear him on the UTH Premium Podcast. He also is a contributor at FantasyPros.com. Jordan McNamara. Jordan, what's going on? Oh, not much, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Now, we're excited to have you back. This is Jordan's second time. He also dropped in on the drafter party day two, and you had great insights uh, during the draft. So we're looking forward to more of those insights as we get into our rounds three or four. We started a, a Superflex rookie mock draft last week, and we were going to stop, but some listeners said, hey, we want to hear more about those guys that went in rounds three, three four, the guys that went undrafted because – that's where you can win or lose your draft. So we're going to get into those rounds. But but first, guys, how's your week going? Trey, you've got several drafts going on right now. Any anything that you know pops up on your mind that you want to talk about before we get into the the rookie draft? No, man. I just well, I guess one. Just I'm going to briefly hit on the uh, the devaluing of quarterbacks in this one uh, super flex rookie draft that I'm in right now. Uh, I was able to make some trades. I traded. Uh, like the 208 in my 2019 second for the two, I think it was either 203 or 204 to take Josh Rosen. He was only the second quarterback off the board. And um, like, I felt incredible about that to give a late second and a second next year for a, a high end quarterback, you know, in that league, my quarterbacks are Russell Wilson, Jameis Winston. And behind that I have Tyrod. So to be able to add Rosen, man, I, I was just ecstatic and a little surprised it's half PPR. So the running back, but even wide receiver, there are quite a few wide receivers that went and um, Baker Mayfield went fifth. And uh, anyway, it's, um, it's super interesting. I've got a couple more firing up in the next few days and I'm pretty excited to add Saquon Barkley to a roster in the next few days. So rookie, rookie drafts are, are a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, what do you make of that? Like in your different super flex leagues that you're in, do you find that in these rookie drafts? Does it vary when quarterbacks go? Because uh, it, it does seem to be that there's some inconsistencies. Like you, that's why you have to know your league. Because in some leagues, people just wait for quarterbacks no matter what, even if it's horrible value or if, if it's a horrible decision to wait to take Rosen until the second round. What do you think of that, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the beauty of Superflex. Is I, there's not a lot of ADP. I don't think there's a ton of consensus. And so when you get in a league like a Superflex league, it can be a little bit of the Wild West. And I like that because I think it allows – you know, if, if you spend the time preparing, you can exploit it. So I think that's a great trade. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, Rosen's probably right behind Mayfield in terms of the surest bets in this class. That's a, that's a great trade to, you know, a later second and a 19 second for, for a good quarterback in this class. That's a great trade. And Will, what about you? Have you started any rookie drafts, any observations so far? Well, so one, I want to make a live draft pick here in a, a, a late fourth rounder with the with the joes and jordan but but jordan your history with what you're doing in in super flex mock or, or in rookie drafts where was like like a couple years ago when you had Goff and wentz going where were they going in those super flex drafts and how can you compare that to now 
That was a little bit before. I hadn't started playing Superflex back then, but I think, um, and I don't have any, I don't have any of the data, but I, I think I remember them being. I would imagine based on their draft position, they would have been sort of in the first round of rookie drafts, probably like the mid first. What year? What class was that? Fifteen or sixteen? They would have been. They would have been the sixteen draft. Class. Sixteen. Yeah, I would. Ima- I would imagine they probably would have been, um, you know, up in the. I, I think the the early to mid first i would guess yeah and i i I can be down with that i just think i want to get i was trying to get or i guess my my curiosity comes from finding out where quarterbacks were being drafted when they went these like you know high picks overall a a couple years ago because last year i'm like where trubisky went and where the kind of the rest of the quarterbacks went i I don't have a lot of great comparisons when it comes to rookie superflex drafts because i don't think people had a lot of faith in the quarterbacks coming out of last year even the year before because you're watching kind of, to me, at least a little bit of a coaching revolution in what they're doing and be able to take these guys' uh, inefficiencies and kind of kind of hide them in the NFL. You know, like, I don't, know, I don't think anybody saw Goff as a generational quarterback in leading the top-scoring offense in the NFL last year. And so that, that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah, and I don't think anyone really thought Goff was. But, I mean, it just is a testament to – I mean, I think Sean McVay is, like, the brightest – one of the brightest minds in football right now. And he can, you know, he's such a good fit for what they want to do with golf, developing him and putting him in good position to be successful with what he does. I mean, but who would have known, you know, the funny part is who would have known when you drafted him, that's how it would have turned out because it was Jeff Fisher at that point. And it sort of looked like, you know, <laughs> the Flintstones type offense. I mean, that's just sort of how they ran it. I mean, what a difference 12 months can make. That's why you just trust talent. Like, even if it doesn't necessarily look great, you know, year one prospects, you, like the turnover in the NFL is so much that it can it can change. You just got to trust talent. That is so true. I mean, look at the Rams. Look at the Oakland Raiders. I, I think about a year ago, we were really high on some of the Oakland Raiders and what might happen there. And, and you know, now you, you don't hear people that they're clamoring to own any of those players, right? It, it is amazing what a difference a year makes. Uh, Jordan, um, any observations that you've had with these early rookie drafts that you've seen? Anything that really like sticks out of your mind? Any tremendous values you see or guys that are um, just horrible values that are going way too early, in your opinion? Um, yeah, I mean, I think to me there's a solid top 12. Um, basically, I've got the eight running backs. Um, obviously, Berkeley's in a classroom zone. Um, and then I have Geis and Chubb after that. Um, Freeman was my running back four throughout the process. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, I don't know which way you want to look at it. Everyone's sort of on him now um, because of the landing spot. He was my fourth pick before the draft. He would have been my fourth pick after the draft. Um, I'm there with on Johnson, and Michelle um, after that. Um, so at five and six, it's those guys. And then um, – I Penny and, you know, Penny's basically my seventh running back. Um, and I have Ronald Jones sort of a significantly off that tier. Um, and then I think the four receivers, I mean, um, Sutton, uh, who's, it's going to be some delayed gratification, I think, on Sutton, but that might not be bad considering his profile. Um, Christian Kirk, DJ Moore, and Calvin Ridley's at the back of that tier for me. But I think it's a solid, like, that's a solid first round to me. And I think that's how, you know, if I'm sitting at 112, I know I'm getting one of those guys. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of how it is. That's how I've seen it to me. I think really, like, in this class, 
outside of the top 12, I'm just being really selective on who I'm taking. And I look a lot at historical odds and historical success rates. And you see some of these guys on day three, like Equinamia St. Brown, like some people are talking about him as like, ooh, landing spot with Green Bay. Just look, look at that. And like, you know, it's day three, it's a five-minute hit right there. Sorry. Know, turn in the top four season. That's not good. You're getting um, you pick that range of draft. So that's something you just got to be really careful about. You know, don't get too overboard on on loving a guy with a bad profile. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, Jordan, talk me into Royce Freeman as my number four overall running back because I have him probably at the end of those those running backs that you mentioned. He's probably my eighth guy. I, I even have him after. Ronald Jones, although I don't love Ronald Jones either necessarily, although oh. I love that landing spot. So, because Royce Freeman, I look at a guy that he's he's good overall player. What are his outstanding traits, abilities that he brings to the table? And then what do you think about that landing spot in Denver? I know he's got the opportunity to lead the backfield, but that offensive line wasn't addressed in the draft, not with high draft capital anyway. So I'm worried about their offensive line. So talk me into Royce Freeman. Good athleticism for considering the fact that he weighs about 230 pounds. He ran a four. Uh, he ran a sub four five five forty, um, and was good in you know a sub seven second three cone drill. Um, so he's athletic. When you watch him on tape, I'm impressed by his tape coming into uh, the 17 season. I when I watched him, his 16 tape, I saw a runner who was a little hesitant. Um, I think there was some stuff going on sort of behind the scenes at Oregon that you know he fell out of favor, and it just it it looked toxic to watch it. Um, he bounces back, has a big two thousand, you know, stays in school, could have came out last year, stays in school, um, becomes a captain, runs well, runs hard, uh, runs physical, and runs with elusiveness too. I mean, he's he, you know, people want to stereotype him as a as a banger, and I think he's capable of it. But I also think he's capable of playing, you know, uh, in a little bit more athletic sense. Um, and when you get guys that can catch that are that big, I mean, that's what, that's a, that's a guy that can stand the field all three downs. And that's, that's gold in terms of dynasty value. All right. I'm, I'm coming around. I like that. I like that. Um, why don't we, uh, jump into these, um, later rounds guys, if you're ready. And, um, and I'm going to tie the later rounds into a recent draft experience I've had, um, and that's to talk about the guy that went at the 301 of the Superflex rookie mock draft that we did right after the draft. And that was Antonio Callaway. He went, uh, Peter took him at the 301, the first pick of the third round in the Superflex uh, mock. Now, I, I want to say I'm, I'm in a, uh, a real draft right now. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a startup league, but the rookie draft is first. And at the 201, Kyle Richardson who you know as a senior fantasy analyst for Rotoballer. He's been on the show before, at Krich, uh 1532. He took Callaway at the, with the 201. So people are, some people are really high on this guy. He has tremendous ability. We know that. We know he fell in the draft because of off-the-field issues. So what do you think of him at the 301, Jordan? That's rich for me. I mean, you look at you, day three receivers hit 5% of the time, um, and fourth-round receivers hit 4% of the time. So I just look at that. It's a, it's a hard to me that and I look at that offense and I, it's, it's good. I think it's good. I mean, you look at the talent, maybe they're falling out of favor with Corey Coleman, but you've got, you know, they've got Jarvis Landry locked down to a long-term contract. 
Josh Gordon has his head on straight apparently right now. They've got David Jokey. They've got, um, you know, uh, Duke Johnson. Like, I just sort of look around and maybe things break right for Callaway, but it just seems like a lot of ifs uh, about him. You know, you have to uh, presume a lot of things happen, and it just historically isn't something that, that is a high high success rate. So 201 is really rich for me. Um, 301 uh, and super flex. I mean, there's other players that I like in that area. I think that I would have to, that I would have to pass on him. Um, you know, I, you're looking like uh, guys like Bellage went after him. I mean, those guys would interest me more, I think, than, than Callaway would. Trey, well, what about your assessment of that pick? You, you like Callaway there? You think it's okay? Well, you're talking about the 301, right? Yeah, I, I was the the league I'm in with Kyle Richardson. He took Callaway at the 201, which shocked everybody. And he actually wrote an article about his, you know, where he ranks wide receivers. And he took some heat on Twitter for that, as you might might imagine. But I do like that he went out there and he's bold. And in a real draft, he actually did what he what he said he would do, you know, in an article that's out there on Twitter. So I, I got to give uh, give Kyle some some respect for that. <laughs> I would I, like, I would love to see that draft board to how much to, to hate or love that pick like what's 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 left after the first 12 so he's taking 13th is there carry on johnson still on the board is there you know christian kirk are these guys that are not knuckleheads who are who have been producers in college that would be my my interest like a, a my, my like i guess curious question about that because it's hard to judge without what's actually without what's happened but i love i'm i'm never against somebody in a rookie draft taking what they want, what they want to take with the research that they've done. I, I this, you, you pay, you play dynasty fantasy football with passion and it's what you should do. So I, I won't hate on it, but uh, I might, I might have take, I would just would maybe have, would have drafted differently. I almost guaranteed would have drafted differently. I uh, no interest in drafting in Tony Calloway at the two Oh one where I, I can't see a scenario where you could have gotten him at the three Oh one. Well, fair enough, but but we're talking about the three hundred one. I I don't want to pile it on pile it on poor, poor Kyle Richardson. He's not here to defend himself. Uh, Trey, what what do you think? Well, so here's the thing for me about Callaway, and and you guys know I'm a Gator fan, and so there was a, a huge level of frustration as a Gator fan with Callaway because he basically didn't play at all the 2017 season because of some legal troubles. I'll say this though: if you're, let's not look at draft capital, which I know matters. Let's look at pure talent. Uh, based on pure talent alone, he's a day one NFL draft pick. Uh, likely would have been the first or second wide receiver off the board if you take away the legal troubles. Now, obviously, I know you can't take away the legal troubles. That's part of the equation. For me, it's a situational, you know, if you are weak at wide receiver and you're sitting there at the 301 and you can get a Trey Smith, Traquan Smith or even a Kiki Cootie, um, some of these guys that I think are a little bit safer, then I understand that. But for me, I think that the upside of Antonio Callaway is fairly unrivaled in this class. I think that his talent and, and uh, you know, I know this, this could, you know, be filed under the narrative street, but this is a guy that has been spending time one-on-one -on -one time in person with Antonio Brown over the last couple months. They've been watching film together. Um, Antonio Brown is investing in Antonio Callaway. And I know, that doesn't mean that he's – I'm not trying to say he's Antonio Brown. I'm just saying that a mature, elite producer at the NFL level has kind of taken him under his wing. And so, for me, it's all about the potential. At the 301, 
that's an outstanding place to you could potentially you know it would not surprise me one bit if 24 months from now that the most valuable wide receiver from this class and dynasty is Antonio Callaway. I'm not predicting that. But wouldn't shock me at all. He's incredibly talented and I think can really make plays. So I, 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 I love the pick at that, at that range of a draft based on the upside. And you're looking at 301, right? Not 201. That's right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. You, Ryan, you mentioned, you said 201, correct? Yeah. Th- this other draft. That's, I'm yeah, in, that's, what, that's kind of what floors me is, uh, one Antonio Callaway. I, he, I, so everything I've seen and read and, and looked at for him, if, if he were the best receiver out of this draft, I would, I would be floored, like honestly floored in the, in the nice way possible. I don't see how he comes out of this in, in a great situation. One, he's going to the, the Browns, which I went against, uh, you know, my, my Browns dislike in general as an organization, but he, it just is, uh, I, I, again, I don't, I don't, I, ne- I never hate getting your guy. But Antonio Callaway at a 201 is just, to me, is, is just insane. 30, and we'll talk about it later in 301. Uh, that's, that's fine. But I, I don't see the risk-reward here with a, a very deep receiving core and a guy that hasn't really done anything. I just don't see what he's done. What has he actually done ever to, to make him worth this pick? I, I get that he's, a, he's athletic, but he he's now has this diluted sample in the combine. I, he has so many things that you don't want in what you're, what you're doing in a rookie draft that I'm out. I, I, regardless of where he falls to, I'm, I'm, I've never taken and won't take Antonio Callaway this year. So let's say you really feel well. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Can you what, tell us I again? Mean, just, I, like, I, I, I honestly <laughs> hope the best for the guy. I hope he proves me absolutely wrong and that he just has a great life and career. Because I, I want the best for people, but for Ricky, like rookie Jeffs, I just don't – I don't know. I just, there's always somebody better and safer and has more upside to me than what he has where you're picking them. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So one of the things that I, I forgot to, to ask before we started to get into the, the third round of beyond was like going back to the first and second rounds, what mistakes we felt we made. Trey, you felt you made a mistake by not taking carry on Johnson. And I don't know if you still feel that way. You said that the last episode, one of the things that uh, looking back at, at the two Oh seven, I took Mason Rudolph after all the, you know, the other, you know, top five quarterbacks. <laughs> and I just thought, okay, it's a super flex league, you know, QB. And the more I thought about it and the more I looked into Rudolph, I forgot some things about him. I think I was blinded by his like good completion percentage, you know, good ratio, senior year, 37 touchdowns to nine picks. But the dude has small hands, nine and an eighth inch hands, which is a major red flag for me. His velocity is not great. I know Deshaun Watson didn't have the best velocity coming out of the combine last year. And, and that was kind of this, you know, kind of, you know, you know, bad look at, at some of the, the measurables. But on tape, that velocity shows up with Rudolph. So I just want to, this is just a public service announcement. Anyone that listened to the last show that's thinking about Rudolph. And in hindsight, I think that was like a horrible pick that I made in that second round. And I just want to put that out there. So Jordan, beyond the, you know, the top four QBs, you know, the kind of the, the consensus top four, getting into Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and maybe even Kyle Oletta. Do you like any of those guys in the Superflex League? Do you think it's worth taking any of them, you know, earlier than the third round? Um, out, so you're saying outside of Mayfield, Rosen, Darnold, and Allen? Or are you considering Jackson your top four? Well, we'll let's put Jackson in the top four. It seems like most places I've okay. seen it's, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield, Rosen, Darnold, Jackson – 
And then I know, I know Allen is one of those kind of polarizing guys. I guess in some leagues he might go earlier, but it seems like the, the Superflex drafts I've done, Allen has been like the fifth QB off the board pretty consistently. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, and as a Bills fan, that pick broke my heart because I knew like that's the bill that was totally the Bills pick. Like that's just totally something the Bills would do. And sure enough, they went ahead and did it. And it was just, it was one of those things that was just mind numbing because from a metric perspective, I just not a fan of him. Um, and I watched the tape. He's, I don't think, I don't think completion percentage is a fair assessment of the player um, because it doesn't really measure. It doesn't, it, it, it's not a complete measure by any means. I mean, cause if, if guys are taking, you know, 30 yard shots down the field and completing them at 50% clip, that's pretty good. But if you're, if you're, you know, throwing dink and dunk passes and completing them at 50%, that's not very good. So I don't think it's a good measure in terms of that, but I, the things I look at really are, uh, you know, how often you score touchdowns, your touchdown interception ratio and your yards per attempt. And he's very, like, he's middling in terms of touchdown interception ratio and yards per attempt in terms of quarterbacks drafted, uh, you know, and, and since 2000. So I just, it seems rich for me, but at the same time, you're, you're getting a top 10 quarterback as your quarterback five in this class. And if you can get him in the second round of the super flex, like then I'm interested. It's all about cost with these guys. And if you can get, I mean, if you can get, I've seen Allen fall 203, 204. That's, that, I think that's a good value there if he's a fifth quarterback off the board. All right, fair enough. Um, just wanted to touch touch on those quarterbacks. Um, what about Rudolph? What do you feel about Rudolph? Just because I mentioned him like a third rounder maybe? Yeah, I don't have, I like to attack the premiums. So when you get, when you get quarterback premium or when you get tight end premium, I don't mind being aggressive with those guys. Um, I try and address them in startups so that way I can be sort of selective, but I don't mind stepping up for Rudolph and sort of the back half of the second round. I think it's a little bit of wide open there in terms of there's a, just a couple of guys that I'm targeting in that range. And in Superflex, I don't mind Rudolph there. I don't think he reached. Okay. And since we went back in time, you know, we're trying to move forward. Oh, Trey, Will, any other thoughts those first two rounds? I should have brought this up at the beginning, but it just was bothering me that I missed it in my notes. So I had to go back. <laughs> Uh, I, I, so I took Sutton at the 203, and I'm a little bit disappointed in, in, in doing that just based on his athleticism and size and upside. Uh, thinking back in time, I think I would have taken Ridley or Kirk in front of him uh, when it comes to rookie drafts, just because my concerns of Sutton and looking at the team and kind of looking at everything overall, just I'm just slightly lower. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of wish I would have taken Calvin Ridley there. And then my second pick would have been – Christian Kirk and they're both available. I went Sutton because it is the the high glamorous upside of a super athletic tall wide receiver. I'm attracted to that, and but I'm also it's it's hard for me as a dynasty player because I'm a little bit impatient when it comes to those guys. So we'll we'll kind of see how it plays out. And I, uh, I don't know that that was kind of my regret in the second round was not going with like a a, a quick precocious, precocious producer like Ridley. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to 302. Uh, we're, we're making we're moving at a snail's pace trying to get trying to talk about these two rounds. But so Aaron uh, with the 302 tray took a certain tight end that we probably were all higher on until the draft. Yeah, that was where Dallas Godert came off the board, and um, I love the prospect. the The, the problem for me is, uh, I mean, unless you really have a deep enough roster that you can just kind of sit on him for several years, it doesn't appear. That there, I mean, you know, for instance, like everybody's in love with Trey Burton oh, this year yeah. now that he's 
appears to be the starting tight end in Chicago. And, and I'm all for that, but were people clamoring for, for him last year when he was the playing second fiddle to Zach Ertz? Oh, no. So, I, you know, the, the only thing for me is I think that there's some guys that were taken after him that, um, again, this is going to be team-specific, but generally for me, the early third is probably a bit early on Godert, and I think that there's some guys I'd rather have that could offer some immediate production. I see Goder being – if you really like Goder and you need tight end depth, I'd be tempted to pass on him. And then in 12 months when he's done absolutely nothing during his rookie season, see if you can't buy him for a, a late third or um, – you know. So I, I think he's a guy I'd probably pass on in the early third. Like the player, don't, don't love the landing spot at all. Is he this year's Kamara or Kamara? Because I hear people say Goder. <laughs> I hear people say Goddard. And, uh, uh, and both, like, very reputable sources, I hear both. Jordan, do you have any idea if it's Godert or Goddard? I go or with Godair. I go with Goddard, but I, I don't know. <laughs> That's just a hunch. <laughs> it's like it's Stephen Colbert. It's Godair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what what are your thoughts on on uh, Dal? I, I I don't know Godert Goddard. I've heard, but I hear both fifty fifty. So what do you think about uh, Mr. Godair? I, I, I liked him. I thought he was going to be like a solid second round pick coming out of the draft. My approach to tight end this year is to just take this sort of pencil in the, the fourth tight end off the board in the third round, right? That's basically my target point in the third round. It's the fourth tight end off the board. So Andrews, uh, Andrews, Goddard, Hurst, and Gesicki, whoever's the fourth one there, if I got to pick in the third round and the other three are gone, I'm taking it. All right, that's interesting. I think it's a good approach, though. Just, so just best value. You kind of see how those guys kind of in the same tier of tight ends, so you're just going to go for value. Yeah, and, and the funny part about Hurst is, ever, like, no one likes him, but you look at, I mean, almost every first-round tight end hit as at least a starter. Um, and you just you, you look at that, you're like, all right, like, it might not be the sexiest pick in the world, but in terms of if you if you focus on tight end and, in your third and fourth round with high pedigree guys, that's a, that's a winning formula year over year. That's good. I like that. That's great insight. So taking Goddard at 302, it may have been a little bit of a reach, but I've, I've come around. Like, what do you want in a tight end? You want some guy who's in a descending offense who they've been crushing it last year. They have an, it's not aging tight end, but they have a guy who's going to be super expensive pretty soon. And you have somebody who could be that, that other, that, that other side of the field, Maybe they split them out a little bit. Their wide receiving core isn't exactly elite there in Philadelphia. I mean, the Alshon Jeffries coming off that rotator cuff injury. Uh, it's going to be very interesting how that plays out. So at round 302, if you really love Goddard, I actually really love this pick because he could be a, a producer. We'll, we'll see early on. Am I going to bet on that? No. But with his talent and his, his ball skills, I think that his landing spot there in Philadelphia could be huge. Because you're gonna have some dudes gonna be paid, need to be paid in two years, and they're not gonna want to do that. They've literally built a team on not doing that. Besides Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love, I love Dallas Goddard. I, I really loved him going into into the draft, but the landing spot just kind of crushes it for me. Because I just, yeah, you gotta wait. It depends on your roster, right? I guess if you could get him at a good value, and you you can, you know, we're all in different leagues where we have different roster sizes, and 
I don't know. I, I was disappointed with the landing spot. And there are guys that went after him that I prefer taking, like the guy you took, Will, at the 303. Yes, we're talking about Naheem Hines going to the Colts. Uh, uh, the land of opportunity there. And what one comment, too, is my, my buddy Austin Howard just signed there as a tackle. He's uh, – Roto World listed him as just a replacement tackle. He's actually – he's had a great uh, – pretty interesting career and where he's landed and what he's doing is pretty good. But for Hines, what, uh, so we're cool assuming – story, Andrew, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we just want – so we want Andrew, – Andrew Luck's coming back, right? That's the assumption that we're drafting on, and that's kind of the assumption that I'm drafting on. There's the world of opportunity. And what gets me with Hines is he's over 200 pounds. And this is where he, he is in, in the rookie drafts. He's not, he's not a 160-pound scat back. He is, I think he's like 5'8 or 5'9. But his BMI and what he can do, I am so excited to see what he can do in this offense. And we're, we're talking about the third round here, the 303, where Hines has, to me, a huge upside to be a starter on your team. I don't think he's ever going to be an RB1 or anything like that. But if you can get a few starts from him, that's a huge win at the 303. And I, I, I was really happy to get him here. Yeah, I, I like it. You know, the guy's a track star, former wide receiver. He's going to be an interesting weapon, I think, that the Colts will utilize in that offense. So, Yeah, I like it. It, it looks like a little bit of a quagmire in that landing spot. But, yeah, I, I like Naheem Hines. And at this cost, I mean, you're just taking guys you like that you think can, can flash. I like Naheem Hines at this point. Trey? Trey's like – uh, that's good. Let, let's keep going. Okay, fine. Well, Jason Lawn picked next with the 304, and he took uh, this guy named Kalen Balaj, who landed in Miami, might have an opportunity that that backfield in Miami. He's kind of an interesting guy, right? He does, he's he's very polarizing, I think. Um, Jordan, what do you think of Kalen Balaj? Kalen Balaj is the closest thing to David Johnson that there's been since David Johnson. Um, that's his upside. Does he hit it? I don't know. Um, we'll find out. I think he was chronically misused at Arizona state. It was, uh, very difficult to watch them play. They had just Demario Richard, just falling all over himself while Kalen Blige was misused. Um, I, I, he's a target player for me in the mid to late second this year. Um, and I suspect that I'll be targeting him heavily, um, and frequently in my drafts. And I think he has enormous upside. Does he hit it? I don't know, but I just think in terms of he's the type of pick that you want to take in this area of the draft because he can produce. I mean, he could be a, a, a top 12 running back in the NFL um, at his ceiling. So that's the type of pick that I love in this range. And I would, I would have probably taken him uh, a full round earlier than this. Wow. That's interesting. Cause I've heard some people say that I, I, I know that, that Paul Pertichese of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast also is really high on Cam, Cam Blush, for example. Um, and like we said, he's polarizing, but, uh, you know, compare him to, to David Johnson. Woo. That's nice. That's really nice. Interesting. And here, you know, in, in a super flex middle of the third round, if you, if you think a guy's that kind of upside, man, jump on it. Right. Well, you look at, you look at his size. I mean, just, just to, uh, the reason why I say that I'm not just flipping like a hot take. I mean, he's 225 plus he runs a four, four, six. He's got a 115 speed score. Um, and he can catch. And when you get big guys that can catch, like, that's a, a rare, like that's a good rare trait to have to be a big, uh, a big guy that can catch. And so when you get that, 
I tend to think that you can, te- you know, you can scheme some of his weaknesses. People will talk about he can't run between the tackles, those sorts of things. You can scheme away from that with a guy like Balaj because he's so big, because he's so athletic. He he's difference making uh, in rare ways. So I think that he has, you know, that stuff. And David Johnson wasn't a good interior runner when he came out. It's it's not likely to happen, but that's the type of upside that I think he has. Very cool. I, I, I just took him in um, a rookie draft I was in, Superflex, uh, the middle of the third round as well. And I, I basically took him because I have Kenyon Drake, and I thought, oh, well, it would be good to have both the guys in Miami backfield. But now I'm feeling much better about that pick. So let's talk about the guy that Kirk took, Will, with the 305. Yeah. Uh, so here we're rolling up uh, with Kirk, Will, as I aptly named us, was for Hayden Hurst. And the thing that kills me about Hayden Hurst is I, I, he was drafted in the first round, and I love that capital and what he's going to do there. But it's not like the the Ravens are the precipice of great, 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 like great at drafting tight ends. And to me, I think the quote that most exemplifies him that I was thinking about today was uh, it's from Michael Jordan. It's it's the ceiling is the roof because he just doesn't. He just seems so common. He's tall. He's, he's you know he's tall, but not that tall. He's big. He's not that big. He doesn't. Over, he doesn't do anything better than most other tight ends. And I think this pick from the Ravens to me, when they when they took him, I'm not. I'm not shocked as far as the Ravens goes because it's like kind of disappointing. I'm shocked that he won the first round. I I haven't seen a single thing from Hayden Hurst that makes me think that he's worth anything. Uh, as far as fantasy football goes, he could be a great blocker. He can do what he can do. And again, I was like, I mean, I I just don't want him. I I'll let other people draft him. Even at this point in time, I'd be out. And so I'm, I, <laughs> I love it. I, I just don't have, want him. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, he, he, like if you want to have like if you want to have the C student of the tight end group of the NFL, that's what I feel like he is at this point in time. And again, I, I want to say I always hope these people prove me wrong, but I, I, I I'm gonna let somebody take the risk every time. And so I I was just when I. When I went to go research Hayden Hurst hard, uh, it was just, it wasn't a great experience. All right. Well, he does have tremendous draft capital going for him. Um, although he did get some competition for rookie class, you know, on that team. That, that's a negative. Jordan, Hayden Hurst here, middle of the third. Any other thoughts? We talked about the tight ends a little bit earlier, but anything to add? Yeah, I think it's a good investment draft capital at this point. Good. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> And let's move on. No, that's good. No, I think you're right. I, I like, like you said earlier, you, you, you made that point about, um, you know, uh, here, you know, tight ends, you hit a, on a tight end in the third and fourth round. It's, it's going to pay off for you because so many of these guys just don't pay off that you take at, th- at this point. But Corey Deaton is hoping that this guy that he took at the 306 is going to pay off for him. And who's that, Trey? So the 306, uh, Corey took Dion Kane out of Clemson and, Deion Kane's a guy that I'm a little bit higher on, I think, than a lot of people. And so I really like this pick here. I think that he's got some great potential. And I think that the landing spot, the draft capital wasn't significant, but I think the landing spot for him is, is kind of nice because I don't know that there – I mean, it, the, the word coming out is that Chester Rogers is likely to be the number two wide receiver there in the Colts offense. And so I think as far as the depth chart, he's got a real opportunity – and, and I think that Deion Kane has the potential to be better as a pro than he was as a college wide receiver. I think that once Mike Williams left Clemson and the quarterback play 
was was downgraded slightly. Um, he just didn't seem to perform real well. But I think that he's got incredible potential. I think that he needs to apply himself. I think that he needs to um, really invest and and transition to really becoming a you know consummate professional. Um, but I do think he he has a great route tree. He's got good size. He's you know really good after the catch and um, you know good body control. All the things that you kind of want in a down the field receiver. So I think that he's got some real potential there. And you know to get a guy like him um, with the upside that he has in the middle of the third, I, I like. I like that pick a lot. You can't stop Chester Rogers. You can only hope to contain him, <laughs> Trey. Okay. Come on. And you also have Ryan Grant there as well. And what about Darius Fountain? Uh, Jordan, who, who do you like more? Do you like Kane or Fountain to emerge in Indianapolis? I like Fountain. Um, I like Fountain. His metrics look good. Um, you know, there's some, it, you know, he's an intriguing athlete. Uh, neither of these guys are particularly um, productive in college, but uh, you just look at Fountain. I mean, that, like, Ch- we can knock on Chester Rogers. I actually think he's, better than than sort of the narrative on him is and it wouldn't shock me if he was their number two wide receiver uh, but and he had the trust of Andrew Luck and key spots when they were together in uh, 2016 um, but I, if I'm taking a shot in the in the rookie class in Indianapolis I'm taking at the receiver position I'm taking Doris Fountain very nice uh, I, I like Will, any thoughts go ahead well I mean the University of Northern Iowa Doris Fountain gonna blow up He's basically David Johnson wide receivers. <laughs> I mean, right? No, the, the, the thing about the Colts offense, and I think it's the 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 Rubik, not the Rubik's cube because you can you can solve those things, but the thing you bang your head against the wall is how do you value Colts players? Man, if what happens if Andrew Lux doesn't come back, it floors me every time. He has, yeah, is he even throwing the Duke yet? Who knows. But in the third round, this is where you take take chances on the players you like on the Colts. Yeah, I, li- I like Kane a lot, and, and I like Fountain a lot too. I, I think you know whoever go maybe whoever goes later, it's probably going to be Fountain in rookie drafts. But get one of those Colts rookie wide receivers and just see what happens. I, I think that's a good investment here in the third round. I think it's a great um, comment. I don't mind either of them. I think like the Colts wide receiver, the second wide receiver on that team is wide open. So and. Um, uh, Talk about a guy that went to a crowded uh, group of wide receivers, the guy that I took here at the 307, DJ Chark. And I talked about him a little bit in the last podcast. I kind of like DJ Chark, you know, especially here, you know, getting later in the third round. I mean, I mean, he was took, he was taken in the second round by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. And I know there's some competition there, but the guy, you know, he doesn't have great college production necessarily because he was in the LSU offense, but he flashed at the senior bowl. He's fast. I think, there is a world where DJ Chark could turn into a decent fantasy option. So Jordan, am I crazy for, for being higher on him than it seems like most people are? No, I don't think so. And whenever you get the, like, whenever you look at these things, just look and see what you're investing in. And I mean, you're taking an upside play on big athleticism with him and he's a, a day two pick. um, And a lot of the people in this range are day three picks. So that's a, that's a good, bonus that you're getting on him I mean that that depth chart's very crowded um, but you figure they they like him um, so he's going to have the opportunity to you know see the field Um, I'm not sure I'm in love with the talent but at this cost it's it's worth the flyer if you're not going to go running back 
other thoughts before we move on? But we got another wide receiver, intriguing wide receiver that went at three hundred eight. Will? Yeah, I mean, I like the I like the chart pick. I I think the upside for him is incredible in where he went. Uh, I mean, <laughs> fine in the future, I, I would say. So so who do you like better than the the guy that the Chark at the three hundred seven or the guy that went at the three hundred eight? Uh, Kiki Cootie. So to me. Kiki Cootie fits in as a really great slot receiver for the Texans. And so I would take Cootie over Chark. I think that that offense has a field stretcher in Will Fuller. I, I don't like that it, it affects his, I feel like, his fantasy value for what he's doing. Uh, it's John Drew Hopkins, who is the best offensive pass interference guru in the NFL. And, uh, but I, I, when, you're coming, when you're coming against them, I think like Cootie or QT or Cootie or whatever you want, I think if it's really one of that offense and we're going to the third round, you're, you're buying a guy that you want to get some volume. And I really, I really like this pick here. And so I'm all, I'm it's, it's funny as it came about, I'm, I'm on board the cootie train. Hey, Trey is Kiki cootie, the Alvin Kamara Kamara of this draft class. You know, I, I, I have been fascinated with cootie from the beginning um, and I was very excited. I don't know that there could have been a better landing spot for him. I think that he kind of is, and, and, and I've mentioned this before, I think he's been kind of miscast as just a speed guy. I think that he's got really great hands. I think he's a natural, like, instinctive slot receiver. I think he can run great routes. I think his separation, his ability to separate, I mean – couple all of that and he does have elite speed if you couple all of that with the fact that he has a quarterback that can buy time and he is playing with arguably uh, a top two receiver in the NFL um, I think that it's an outstanding opportunity there I'm really excited to see what he does in that offense um, he's the kind of guy that can and, and I'll be interested to see if he re- ends up returning punts for them too because I think he can be a difference maker in the in the return game and, and get you a, a touchdown in that capacity. So I love the pick. I think that um, Cootie's a guy I'd take probably a little bit earlier in the third round. He's just a guy I like. I, I love um, his uh, opportunity. Yeah, there. he he's, seems like he's a great fit for that Texans offense, whether he turns out to be this great fantasy asset or not. Will, you want to say something before we get Jordan to weigh in on uh, Kiki Cootie? Well, maybe should, maybe Jordan should, should weigh in first. <laughs> All right, Jordan Shark or Cootie? Uh, Shark. I just I look at Cootie and I just when are you ever going to feel comfortable starting him? And he's going to be at best the third wide receiver. Um, you know, Desha, Deshaun Watson blew it up last year, but over an entire season he was on pace for 466 attempts, which is very low. Um, and you just I just look at him and I say, where, where does a, uh, where do I ever have any predictability of playing him? I think that the only, you know, I think he's a good DFS matchup in terms of, you know, playing GPPs, but I just have a hard time seeing how I'm going to fit him in a, a lineup in dynasty. Yeah, that's fair. He's one of those guys that it's something to think about. Uh, Will, what was your point you were going to make? Uh, well, one, uh, where he fits in there, if Will Fuller gets injured and he takes over that role as well, Will Fuller's never been like the uh, flagship person of health, and I like that. And again, like you're not—I don't know—I'm not the biggest fan of Kiki Cutie and, and, and singing those praises. The one thing that I think this brings up, and 
I came was listening to Matt Waldman was the, and it's a little bit off topic, but I think the Jaguars defense is going to be one of the most overrated, overdrafted defenses in redraft. And uh, as far as like value goes, if you're playing defenses in dynasty uh, this year, because you have a, a bunch of injured people coming back to this, this, this division was obliterated by injury last year and horrible offensive coordinators. And I, we, can, we can dive into this later. But it just was a quick thought was uh, the Jaguars defense, I would I just would be shocked if they're as good as they were this year based on if you look at this this conference, the way we're talking about this draft, the way it's going, and the teams that these players are landing on. Uh, it's just a quick thought. Let's talk about the next pick in this round. This is one of those guys that we had a lot of high hopes for. Some of us did, right? At the, uh, at the 309, Jake, Trey, who did he take? So, you know, get the guys uh, in the all-name uh, team for the NFL draft, Equinemius St. Brown. And um, I, I don't hate the pick. I, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth about ESB. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that he landed in Green Bay – was you know this kind of uh, fantastic or viewed as this fantastic landing spot i like another guy that landed there in green bay that i'm going to talk about in a little bit i think esb you know when you're getting toward the end of the third round you're getting to where you're starting to make some dart throws i think that the success rate of guys taken in this in this range of um you know uh, rookie drafts is is uh, creeping lower and lower probably to the single digit. So it's a dart throw. The guy's got incredible upside. I've seen him taken a good bit higher than this in rookie drafts. And so, I mean, if you're a fan, I could see going after him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take him here. He probably wouldn't be a guy I'd really want to take. There's, there's quite a few names I like above him. Um, but you know, the talent's there. Um, it, it's hard to understand exactly what happened at Notre Dame and whether it was just a, a case of a terrible um, college quarterback, and, and that's why his his last product, season production at Notre Dame was so dismal. But um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he how he pans out. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too because in Green Bay, as we know, they took some other kind of I don't say flyer wide receivers, but they took some other guys late as well. Um, so Jordan, what do you make of ESB and, and that Green Bay situation? I mean, do you think here it's a good good place to take a guy with a lot of upside, theoretically? Yeah, I don't I don't think he has a lot of upside. I just I've never been a fan of his. Twelve percent of his college production came in one game against Syracuse. That was uh, the Syracuse secondary just decided not to get off the bus that day, so um, they couldn't have tackled my grandmother on that in that particular game so I mean and he's basically had three 100 yard games in his entire career um I just I have a hard time seeing how he translates you get the thin BMI guys it's just they they struggle in the NFL he drops I think that his drop is is significant in terms of how, how many teams passed on him how many times um I would rather take a guy like Bo Scarborough at this point. All right, fair enough. That's interesting. Wow. Um, 12% of college reduction in one game. Well, so, Jordan, why were people so high on ESB going into the, the, the process then? Like, if, <laughs> I, is it just because, you know, physically he, he has some traits that stand out? Is it just that simple? That he, that he was in this high-profile pro, high program, uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Or, I mean, what, what's up? Yeah, I mean, what, he was a big-time name coming out of high school. Um, you know, he 
the people that played Devi were all into him. Um, and, you know, he goes to Notre Dame. Um, you know, he's got sort of the bloodline. He's got a, he's got a lot of narrative to his background, but he hasn't really done anything on the field. And I, I just, I don't see, I didn't see this, this, uh, you know, monstrous catch point guy that, that some people did and he just wasn't productive. So I, I get people, you know, were sort of enamored with his size and his story. I, I just don't think he's a particularly good football player. Fair enough. Let's move on. So uh, we got another tight end, Mark Andrews, going at the three ten. Um, do we want to? So we've kind of talked about the tight ends. Do we want to say anything about Mark Andrews, or should we move on? I mean, I think here it's a pretty good pick, all things considered. We talked about taking. You know, I love the, this cost for him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love this cost for him. I love Mark Andrews uh, as a player. Uh, it's a crummy landing spot, but this is a great cost. I mean. Take a guy like Mark Andrews, who's got the ability, who's got some upside at tight end over these dart throw wide receivers would be, would be my recommendation. And I love this cost on Mark Andrews. So what about Mark, Mark Andrews or, or the guy that went next, uh, Deshaun Hamilton? A lot of guy liked Hamilton coming into the process. And, and theoretically, you know, the narrative on Hamilton, right, is that he's going to be a, a great replacement for, for Emmanuel Sanders when Denver moves on from him after this year. I mean, maybe, but they took Carlos Henderson last year. They got Cortland Sutton. I mean, are they going to move on from? Are they going to move on from Sanders? I, I, maybe, but I think they probably bring one of um, Demarius Thomas and Sanders back on a rework deal in nineteen. I mean, their cap hits are. They have two of the top three cap hits in two thousand nineteen: um, Sanders and uh, Thomas on the Broncos. So something's got to give there, but. You know, what's to say they don't address the pick, you know, the position early in the draft next year and free agency. It's just for a guy like Hamilton to pan out. These guys are are low percentage plays um, and you just got to be careful loading up on them because they become roster cloggers because you got to wait 18 months to to see if they're going to pan out. And in all that time, you could have taken, you know, you could have turned that roster spot over on the waiver wire with running backs or, you know, in this case, I mean, take a guy like Laletta in a super flex. I mean, I, I think that's a higher probability, higher upside bet than a guy like Hamilton at this point. That was amazing insight, Jordan. I love that. Um, let's talk about the, the pick at the, at the 312. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because our listeners wanted us to talk about these guys in the third and fourth round. But, you know, some, it is kind of hard to be excited about some of these guys sometimes, I have to be honest, you know. I, but I guess that's what you want to stay engaged and really think about, like, what you're trying to get out of these picks and, and, and like, look at the full picture because there are some, some interesting pieces that you could add to your team. And you, you want to avoid those roster cloggers and you want to get guys that could really help your team. And maybe Jamon Moore, who went at the three twelve, was one of them. Trey, that's a, you, who, who you took. Uh, he he went to Green Bay. Yeah, and I think that <clears throat> I think that there's just an opportunity there. I think that that third wide receiver job um, behind Adams and Cobb is wide open. I think that you know it's really likely that Moore is competing for the fourth wide receiver spot. But I like him. He was productive at Missouri. Um, uh, you know, he's he's got some athleticism. I think that. Uh, he's got size and, you know, again, at this point, and, you know, Jordan brought up a good point. You know, this is the point where you're looking at, like, if you've got Zeke on your roster, this is where I'd, you know, maybe grab a Bo Scarborough so that if Zeke does something stupid, which would shock the world, 
you've got a guy that's going to slide right in. Or maybe if you have Todd Gurley on your roster, this is a spot where you say, you know what, let me just go ahead and lock down. Um, I just had a brain fart. It's uh, John Kelly. John. So, you know, th right. th these are the picks or, you know, you take a flyer on a, a Kyle Laletta, like you mentioned. So I, I do think that you have so many options here this late in the, in the draft. I do think that, you know, Jamal Moore is a nice dart throw. Um, I, I think that he, you know, really actually per performed quite well. I think led the SEC actually in receiving yards as a junior uh, in 2016. So I think that uh, it's a, it's a good pick, you know, this kind of, you know, you're going to look at the wide receivers in this range and you got to go with the guy that you like, because again, your odds of success is so minimal. So um, I don't, don't dislike the pick. Well, let's start to go a little faster here. We're going into the fourth round. And if anyone wants to, to jump in, just jump in when we, we talk about these guys. So the 401, we talked about Darius Fountain already. Um, I don't know if there's anything to add. Probably a good value here. I like getting a guy that might compete for that wide receiver two spot in Indianapolis at the top of the fourth round. Um, any other thoughts before we move on to the 402? I mean, are we, are we running out of time? No, I just, I just thought we'd pick up the pace a little bit. You, you want to talk about Fountain a little bit more, Will? He's, he's your guy. I mean, Northern Iowa. He's just, he's just got one to get. Uh, just he was drafted, drafted ahead of the rest of the class. So obviously they think that he was more valuable. Uh, at this point in time, n no problems with his draft spot. But I think that this is – so you win a lot of leagues. Like, remember when uh, – you know, David Johnson was going in the third round of rookie drafts potentially, and then he was moving up and up and up. This is the time of year where you're making some big-time value moves. And so I just don't want to discount these players in our, in our conversation around them. So, No, fair enough. Fair so, enough. But fair what, enough. what kills me is uh, Deion Kane went to the Colts, and I think Deion Kane is a more athletic, uh, a higher prospect that went there. And so after he went after Dries Fountain, I'll be very, very curious to see how that shakes out. And I think it's worth, worthwhile watching. And if you have a, an interest or, or a preference between these two, it's a great dart throw. Absolutely. 402, uh, the John Kelly. Oh, John Kelly, how, how, how far are you fallen? There was so much hope for you. There, there was hope that you would go to this nice landing spot, maybe on day two, and it just didn't happen. You're on the LA Rams, and you're behind one of the best running backs in all of football. So, John Kelly, uh, 402 um jordan what did you think of john kelly coming into the into the nfl draft um i thought he hit like a mac truck um i think he's got some decent receiving skills in him um i think he's a little undersized but i like watching him play um i thought people were probably higher on him than than i was i thought the market was higher on him than i was but i could see the appeal um, he goes this late. I mean, and here's the thing you got, you guys mentioned about Scar We talked about Scarborough a little bit earlier. I don't even need to be a girly owner or a Zeke owner to be interested in these guys. And the reason is, is because like, I love Bo Scarborough in this area of the draft, uh, John Kelly, I would slot in after him. Um, another guy we talked about off air was Ryan Nall. Um, I like these guys in this area. And the reason why is it, if push came to shove and, and all the things broke right for them, you're going to know when to start them and you're going to know like they're, they're in high value offenses with, with uh, degrees of intriguing skill sets. Um, and those guys like that, I mean, if a, if 
if something happened to Zeke Elliott, which isn't outside the realm of possibility, uh, you know, Bo Scarborough would probably be worth a first round draft pick, a, two, a 2019 first round draft pick. Um, same thing with John Kelly. If something were happening to, to Gurley, like that's like that's in the range of outcomes. Give me that because it, the receivers in this area are never going to don't have that flip potential, and and you're never going to really know when to start him. If Gurley goes down week three. John Kelly's a potential league winner. So give me that type of pick. That's, that's the type of pick that I like to make. And I think it's a, you know, he might pan out to be nothing um, and just be a backup, but those guys have value because of the injury rate at running back. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Maybe you could say the same thing about the guy that went next, uh, Justin Jackson out of Northwestern. He went to, I almost said San Diego, the Los Angeles chargers, and, you know, if you look at who's behind Melvin Gordon, you've got, you've got Austin Eckler. And, I, I, you know, that's kind of it, right? So do, do you see a world where Justin Jackson, if Melvin Gordon would unfortunately get injured, um, could, could see some play and, and help you out in your league, Jordan? Yeah, I could see it. And I, I love running back in round four, round three, round four, um, and beyond. I just, you know, get, let me identify a running back that I think has a possibility to hit. Scarborough would have been my pick here, like I said, but I, I have no problem with Justin Jackson this late. You're trying to take that that player that could, if if injuries break right, that could be a starter for you, and and he isn't the best option of that, but he is he has that potential. Other thoughts? Will you watched a lot of uh, Justin Jackson? Uh, I think he blew up against your Iowa team, didn't he? Uh, I mean, he's, he's just okay at college football. I don't even know anything. <laughs> I, I think Justin Jackson's landing spot there, and the what more do you want in a fourth round pick? And he, you see him going earlier in rookie drafts. So this is my this is this was my pick at the four hundred three. If I got Justin Jackson at the four hundred three, I'm ecstatic. What what more upside do you want with a guy that can catch passes and be in an offense like that? That you have to believe the Chargers are gonna be better than they were last year. That they're not gonna have the same injury issues. So. I'm I'm fully in on that. So the 405, Jason Lawn, our friend, took Richie James, who's kind of an interesting guy. Um, went late in the draft. What was that? Middle Middle Tennessee State, if if memory serves, where he went to school. He's kind of a fun guy. I guess there are some running backs on the board, and we just talked about that, right? Why would not grab one of those running backs that could, you know, if things break right, could be in a really great situation this year and beyond. Uh, and Richie James, is he one of those guys that's maybe like a nice guy for, for them to add to their team, but he's not going to be fantasy viable because you never will know when to use him? I think that for Richie James, I, I love, you know, Richie James was a guy that I really appreciated um, Matt Waldman's take on Richie James. And, and, you know, Matt Waldman shared in the RSP that, you know, Richie James was a guy he just loved. He had an incredible affinity for him. And, and then as he charted him, he began to see that, you know, it, it really, I think he was a top 10 wide receiver for, for Matt Waldman. And um, I think f- for me, even though it's late round draft capital, I think the landing spot in San Francisco where he can go out there, Pierre Garcon, I think is going to garner a really great uh, portion of the targets there. And the, um, Dante Pettis that, you know, we had talked about is a guy that I like as well. But I think, you know, after this year, starting in year two, I just think that Richie James in the hands of a guy like Kyle Shanahan 
with with Jimmy uh, GQ at quarterback. It's an exciting – I like that. He's probably one of my favorite picks of this round. Um, I think that he's got great potential. His, his production at Middle Tennessee State was just off the charts. And uh, I think, you know, used the right way, he could be a, a really great weapon. Um, so I, I think it's, a, it's a, a nice dart throw. Yeah, he's fun. Jordan, what do you think about Richie James? Yeah, it'll be – all these guys are, you know, low percentage. It, it, Shanahan's interesting in how he uses his players. I, I, he may be a little bit uh, redundant with Trent Taylor, so that's sort of something to watch. But, I mean, they don't really have a true number one, so it's kind of wide open. So it's an interesting – it's an interesting idea. I'm eager to talk about the guy that went next, um, which is Kyle Aletta. Um, so what are we at? We're at the 405, I think. And, um, you know, Kyle Aletta was a guy that, like, going into the Senior Bowl, and I, I, was, I was talking about that, I read about. Um, I, I, and so it's, it's, it's not that he went, you know, in the first or second round or anything like that. But interesting spot. You know, he could theoretically be the successor there in, in New York. And, and, and talking about quarterbacks in general, Jordan, when it comes to, to rankings for quarterbacks, I rank my quarterbacks differently in a super flex league versus a one QB league. Um, for example, I like Lamar Jackson much more in a one QB league than I do in a super flex. Cause in a super flex, I'm going for those guys that theoretically are, you know, are, have the, the, the most stability that, you know, that the guys that even if they don't have that ridiculous ceiling, they've got nice floors in theory. So what's your approach? One QB versus super flex. And then what do you think about Kyle Loletta? Um, I, I like Loletta at the cost. So I think that's a good pick at this cost. I think he's what quarterback seven up the board and in the fourth round. I like that. Um, from a strategic point of view, I, I think that, I think you're definitely right. You want to take upside and quarterback one, because if they flame out, they're replaceable. Um, so, you know, guys like Mahomes, um, you know, stashing a guy like Mahomes last year made a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, stashing a guy like Lamar Jackson makes a lot of sense um, because I think they have high upside. Uh, in in premium formats, so in Superflex or Start 2, you need safety. And so you want, like, uh, you know, I, I love Mayfield all around, um, but I think Mayfield's the safest quarterback in this class. Um, I, I like Rosen as well. Um, Darnold's a little bit below that for me, but um, you know, all of these guys I think are, are safer than Lamar Jackson is in terms of uh, you know, both their draft capital and, you know, just sort of how they project out, I think early in their career, I think they're safer than Lamar Jackson is. So um, you got to weigh that a little bit. Uh, I think if you like, I like in premium formats in, in either super flex or start two. I like to really attack it and get overweight on, on the premium positions in the startup. So that way I don't have to ever reach. Um, you know, I had a start, I had a startup in January. It was like almost, it was during the playoffs, I think, um, of the, the NFL playoffs. And we did an early startup. I went real early. I got Stafford and Winston. So I felt great because it's start two and you never want to be, you know, reaching, uh, without a quarterback in a start two format. Um, and it was it's six point touchdown. So you're really setting yourself behind if you're not attacking the position. Um, and then I came back with guys like Eli and rivers later on. Um, so I had four, I got four starters uh, and that way I didn't have to reach in the rookie draft. You know, I was able to take, uh, I was able to take a guy like Mason Rudolph 
later in the draft. Um, and, you know, I can stash him. I can, it's sort of a wait and see for me, but I don't need to go up and reach and, and I can let other positions come to me. Um, so that's how I usually like to do it. Um, I, I attack it from the startup and get, you know, and lock it down. And that way I'm never having to chase. And then I like to take some speculative, uh, you know, shots on guys later on in the draft. So I like a lot at this cost for sure. Yeah, I like I like that strategy too. It's so nice to do that. that you don't have to go out and reach for guys, and I also clog your roster because I, I know guys that devalue the QB position. They tend to carry a bunch of extra quarterbacks on their rosters when they can, and, and it's just you know you're clogging up spots. Maybe that doesn't matter if you're in a deep league, but if if your league is shallower, that's a that's a big deal. Other thoughts on Kyle Oletta, guys? You, you you've probably sick of me talking about him, right? <laughs> Ryan's favorite, Kyle Oletta. I don't know if you know he did pretty well in the Senior Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> you know if you called that, Ryan. Anyway, we'll call him Ryan we'll see. He doesn't mean he hasn't anything, though, in the NFL, so we'll see. My, my curious case of these quarterbacks is, so you had five quarterbacks drafted in the first round. How many of those are going to be successful based on odds? Regardless of your evaluation of talent and things like that, like none, the, the chances of all five of these quarterbacks being – great fantasy starters is going to be super, super slim. So who are you going to miss on and who are you going to win on? And I'm very excited to see how this plays out in the NFL. The guy that went next in the draft, he's almost guaranteed to be this <laughs> valued fantasy asset. That's, is it Braxton Berrios? Is, that, is Braxton his first name? Berrios, the, the wide receiver out of uh, uh, Miami. He went to New England. He's the, you know, uh, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman clone. Wes Welker actually got uh, four more years of eligibility and went back to Miami. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what is, is this, a, is this kind of a trap, um, Jordan, where you, you see this guy like, Oh, the Pats have had success with this type of player. I'm going to take him at the, in the, in the last round. Is it kind of a wasted opportunity? Or do you think it's an okay pick? Uh, it's been such a narrative of him to the Patriots. It was kind of funny to see it happen. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a long-term hold. And just as a general philosophical strategic thing for me, I don't like to, I don't like to have my – to have to wait and see on fourth-round draft picks. Like, I want to know – like, I'd rather take a shot on a guy like Ryan Nall um, because he's either going to be like a week one, like probably the running back three in that offense – or he's going to get caught and then I can move on from him. Like those are the type of strategic bets that I like to make in this. Um, so Berrios is a play, like I got to wait, I got to wait 24 months on that roster spot. Like if you're not playing in deep formats, like that hurts, like that hurts. Cause you know, week six rolls around and there's a running back injury and you know, you have a, a third string guy who's on the waiver wire. Are you cutting Berrios? You know, you, you, or are you going to hold on to him? You know, it, that it, I would much rather have the running back in that situation. Um, and I think that when you clog the back end of your roster with receivers, it, it the upside. So it's such a long shot that I think it caps your upside of your team. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And there are three running backs that went next. So you, you missed an opportunity on, Ida Smith, Mark Walton, and Bo Scarborough. We've been talking about him for a while now. He finally went off the board towards the end of the fourth at the 409. I just Wait, Jordan, would you take Ryan Nall over those guys? No, I would I would have taken Scarborough in like the mid-third. Oh, boo. Um, but I like, I mean, lumping these guys together, I mean, these are good 
you know, I, I like these type of investments because uh, Edo Smith's a little bit longer, a, a little bit further off the radar, but they've got some free agency questions with Tevin Coleman. You know, could he be, you know, a, a, a backup running back at some point if someone gets hurt? Like, I like that type of conversation. Mark Walton, um, again, he's the third He's the third back. Similar situation with with uh, Gio Bernard going into the season. I mean, that's a similar type conversation. I can see, you know, I would have had, uh, I would have probably taken Walton earlier than this. And I love Bo Scarborough as at this price. We, I used to, Chad and I used to, UTH used to knock on Scarborough because he had this narrative of being like a late first round rookie pick back in like September, um, which just seemed crazy to me because here's a guy who, uh, you want to know, you guys want to take a guess how many times he rushed for 20 carries in a game at Alabama? Mm, maybe, how about three? But how many times did he almost win a national championship and then broke his leg? Yeah, he, he never I don't rushed. I know that he ever had. He never had yeah, 20 carries. He... Never had 20 carries in a game at Alabama. Um, wow, zero. He had zero. Games. Wait, did, uh, but what about, what about, uh, what's his face in Miami? Walton, I mean, he was like, he was a lead back for them for, I mean, he was their guy. Um, Walton was, but so I just, I look at that and I just say that, uh, you know, at this cost, you're getting a, you're getting a guy who was a big time recruit came from a pipeline program. There was some clogging of the depth chart there. Cause they had, you know, it's just a pipeline of NFL draft picks out of that depth chart. That's a scenario where I, I like Bo Scarborough at this cost because you figure he can slot in behind a guy like Zeke Elliott. And if, if something happens to Zeke and he hasn't, he's shown the ability not to stay clean off the field. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, we know the injury risk at running back. Scarborough could step in and be a, be a weekly starter for a team. Um, and in a good off behind a good offensive line with a with with uh, I think some promise to rebound off of last year, like that's the type of pick that can win you leagues. And so I, at this cost, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Scarborough's talent, but at this cost, I like the profile a lot. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how he plays out too, because he's he's a great athlete when it comes to like metrics. And what, what I meant to say was uh, looking at Kenny and Drake versus the other like Alabama talent that has had a longer career than the, the running back that ran in front of him, Trent Richardson, in that offense, and that he, you know, he's still here. And now all of a sudden, he, he's a fantasy asset in what we're talking about. And so Bo Scarborough, uh, I, I just, you know, what's going to happen with him and what he's doing, but I think it's a great, it's, it's just a great kind of like home run pick. I get that he's a handcuff, but you're in a dynasty league that most likely has a taxi squad and most likely you most likely you just stash him. And if you're talking about the four, where were we, the four, nine, what do you have to lose? Yeah. And honestly, like a guy like Scarborough, any of these guys, like I actually think they're the last people in the world you want to taxi. Like you should use, at least in my opinion, and and the research that I've done and the way I put together my teams, I want to stash guys that are long-term holds for me. So the question I always ask at the taxi squad is, and it, it matters on sort of premiums and everything. But the question that I ask is, is this a guy that no matter what happens, I'm going to hold the entire year? Um, and if the answer to that is yes, then I feel, I feel okay about his long-term future. 
Um, and then I say, okay, if, if I'm going to hold him the entire year, is he a guy that's ever going to start for me? That's basically the second question. And if the answer to that is no, he's your taxi squad guy. So that's why in this class, that's why I think third round tight ends is a great option this year because they're taxi squad guys. Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, Goddard, uh, Gesicki, if any of them fall to that third round, they're long-term stash plays for you. So you can taxi them. A guy like a running back like Starborough, you just stash him on your bench. Because if you stash him on your bench and something happens to Zeke Elliott, you want to be able to start him. If you, if if everything breaks right, that can change your season. Um, so you don't want to have a guy like him locked away where you can't use him. Because if 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 everything breaks right, he can be gold. Um, so with that, I, that's another thing why I like you know taking quarterbacks um, and start ones. I'm a, I like to target quarterbacks in the third round because you can stash them. And then you open up that that back half, you know, that back end of your roster, those last couple spots. You want to be playing with backup running backs because they can change your season. So the draft ended. Uh, it sounds like a law firm if I say it. Lasley, Watson, and Quinn. Um, but but uh, what Jordan Lasley, Justin Watson, Trey Quinn, those were the last three guys. Um, any thoughts to those guys? And and I know our listeners are thinking. Well, Mark Ingram just got suspended for four games. There's a guy on the board still, Boston Scott. What what about him? Should we take him over Lasley, Watson, or Quinn? I think that Quinn pick is – he might be the best, the best Mr. Irrelevant ever. I mean, he was a big-time a big recruit to LSU. He transfers to SMU. He overshadows Cortland Sutton last year. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, there was talks about him running, you know, low four threes in college. I never saw that, but – uh, on his tape, but I think he's a pretty good player. Um, that the the back half of this round, like those are the type of speculative ads you can make. I think the kid from uh, from New Orleans is a long shot to be relevant because they've got Jonathan Williams, they've got Trey Edmonds, they've got other people there, and obviously Alvin Kamara. Um, it's a long shot, but I I, I like that dart throw. Like, that's the type of pick, like, hey, because if he doesn't make the roster, I can just cut him. And you know what? It's a fourth-round draft pick. I just move on from it. I like that I like that type of strategy and that type of process um, over needing to stash a receiver like Braxton Berrios. Like, I, I'm not in love with the kid from the, uh, the running back from New Orleans, but I like that type of process. And I think that's really, uh, that's really the type of strategy that I advocate. Another guy that I don't think went, uh, Jordan Wilkins, uh, to Indianapolis. Um, he, he's kind of an interesting guy because, you know, I, I don't know if, what we believe between Marlon Mack and, and Hines. Maybe they have more similar skill sets than, than a guy like, like Wilkins, who I didn't know a lot about until he was drafted, to be honest. And, you know, he seems like, like the big bruiser, maybe two down back. Uh, so you like, you, would you take Wilkins here? Do you consider him? Yeah, Wilkins. I mean, I think I love situational type running backs in this area of rookie drafts because, um, you know, is that a is that roster is that depth chart a quagmire? Do we really know who's going to come out of it? I I don't have a good feeling on who's going to come out of it. Um, but here's the guy that he's got. He has some athletic ability, and um, and and is a little bit different than the other guys there. So that's, that's a good option. Um, other options that I would like in this area, um, Chase Edmonds, uh, you know, back, you know, if something happened to David Johnson, 
I think he's an attractive he, – he isn't probably a long-term three-down back, but he could for a moment in time step into that role. Um, Ryan Nall, the kid from Chicago we talked about, um, I, I love Ryan Nall, um, especially at this area. Another guy, too, that, that it just recently the news came out on him where he signed, but Chris Warren. I mean, if you, if you think about, like, you look at the moves that Oakland made um, in terms of, you know, they go with these, these bigger backs. It looks like they want to pound the ball, play like 1980s football with John Gruden. Um, Chris Warren's your dude for that. I mean, he's a big 245-plus pound back that can move. Um, he's got good feet. And, you know, they wanted to move him to tight end at Texas because that program's absolutely dysfunctional in terms of how they run offense. But, um, you know, they wanted to take their best player and move him positions. It didn't make any sense. He comes out, goes undrafted. But I, there's a lot to his profile that I like, and he was a big-time recruit. Uh, he seems to fit what they want to do stylistically. Like, uh, that's the type of home run pick, like, late in the draft that, that I think you want to take because – like I said, he could he could turn out to be nothing, but I think we'll know earlier on, and they're able to move on from him if if that's true. And if not, like he could, I could see him starting this year. I could see a guy like Chris Warren starting this year. Um, Ryan Nall the same way, and, and you know he's got three down potential. If something happens to Jordan Howard, he could fill in that role aside um, Tariq Cohen. So those are the type of picks that I love in this range of the draft. Nice. This, this, is, this is great stuff. So it's a reason to stay engaged and excited when you get into rounds three and four and five. And admittedly, when we were talking about this in around three, I was like, eh, okay, we're talking about these guys that aren't going to be hugely, hugely relevant. But, man, a couple of these guys could hit, right? And they could, they could win you your league or, or at least help you out in bye weeks when, when some of your starters are down or whatnot. So this has been a great conversation. Um, before we move on from this, rookie draft any other final thoughts jordan you want to add anything will trey uh jordan we we have we're going to spend a couple more minutes with you we got a couple more questions but any other thoughts before we move on from this rookie draft yeah maybe grab akram wadley at the very end (laughs) the strongest handshake ever will right well high high five five. it hurt my fingies Uh, nobody a great college producer who tested horribly and uh us iowa fans are very disappointed but uh that's just kind of the way it goes and why not stash him in the fifth round what are you doing with your fifth round where did Wadley anyway? sign again tennessee, tennessee. okay <clears throat> if he's if he's not the uh replacement for Dion lewis what what do you what more do you want and like Dion lewis has <laughs> never been in you know <laughs> not not bad not bad try any uh, thoughts for move on no, I, I will say that I really like the um, I really like the call on Chase Edmonds. I think you know for the Cardinals to invest a fourth round draft pick there, you know I, I think that um, Jordan hit the nail on the head. He really can fill in as a three down back, and so you know I think that you know that it's kind of interesting because I think that you could potentially see with uh, the offense that is um, going to be going down there in Arizona and in Dallas, I think that you could start seeing um, the the Saints last year, I think employed their running backs beautifully with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara both being integral parts of that offense. And so I think that both Bo Scarborough and Chase Edmonds have an opportunity, and Jordan mentioned it earlier, that you know they're not just valuable as handcuffs, but they might have some standalone value. And, and those are guys I think that, you know, if – 
and you know, of course the NFL coaches and GMs don't always do what's quote unquote smart, but you look at a guy like David Johnson, who's, you know, really already 26 years old. You look at a guy like Zeke Elliott, and I know that oftentimes these, these running backs are only under contract on their rookie deal, but, um, you know, keeping them around and, and having them stay healthy is important. So I think that you might start to see more NFL teams going to a, a committee approach uh, because if a uh, running back gets hurt and you lose him for the season, um, that really hinders what you can do on offense, especially if it's a guy like David Johnson or Zeke. So I, I really like that that pick. I think that, you know, coming out of that small school out of Fordham, I, I really like Chase Edmonds. Yeah. And just remember – uh, some people in their, in their championship games or playoff games last year were starting guys like Capri Bibbs and uh, Kerwin Williams and, and these guys that, you know, like some of these guys that you may think there's no way they're going to have value. They might have value. So, hey, hey, Jordan, before you go, you're writing a book. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, oh yeah, I'd love to tell you about it. And also, hey, go back a couple of years. Tim Hightower won people money in week oh, yeah. 16. Oh, yeah. Like, stashing these running backs, like, it, it seems like it's when you look at your roster and you see, like, you know, half of it is running backs, those are the best rosters, in, in my opinion. I like to be really, really selective and narrow at wide receiver, um, you know, have four or five core guys. Um, and make all my flyers at running back because a guy like Tim Hightower won people money a couple of years ago. And it's, he's sort of an afterthought and a write-off um, to history, but he, you know, not to the people that cast those checks. So uh, yeah, I love stashing the running backs. Um, so about the book. Yeah. It's a, I basically, it's kind of an interesting process I went through. Um, I was, I was dumping a whole lot of data after the end of the, NFL season and I just I spent like three or four weeks just just compiling data and I started to analyze it and I I was stunned by some of the stuff that I saw um and so I said you know I gotta I have to do something with with some of my findings so I decided I'm gonna write a strategy book and and really the strategy book is designed to it's like a lot of the advice that that people get is tactical advice so you know, you, who do you like as, you know, oh, I think Richie James could be, you know, a wide receiver three in San Francisco. That type of advice is tactical advice. And that type of advice is good as good. Um, but what I think really moves the needle in terms of increasing your odds and increasing your ability to win, um, you know, strategically and, and structurally is how you design your team, the type of investments that you're taking um, and, the, and the way that you can exploit the dynasty market. And so my book is aimed basically at that, looking at a lot of historical value and looking at a lot of the narratives that we see in terms of uh, dynasty football in particular um, and, and giving you a strategic advantage over your competition by looking at what history and the types of players that we're selecting instead of specifically who it is, talk about investing in types, investing in what type of positions and how you go about doing it, I think is more important than the tactical decisions that you're making on an individual player basis. So that's a lot of the analysis that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, some interesting findings. I think it's actually going to change. Uh, it, it has changed my mind and how, how we look at these positions, in particular running back and wide receiver. This sounds awesome, Jordan. So w- when is this going to be available? When can we get it? Where can we get it? You have a price point. What do you think it's going to cost? That type of stuff. So uh, my, 
my intent is to release it in January or February of 2019. Basically, I'm spending all my time right now writing it. Um, I'm hoping to have it basically written largely by the fall. Um, and then my intent is basically all my analysis goes back. Right now, I'm focusing on 2008 to 2017. And I, I was fortunate enough, Rotoviz uh rotoviz.com actually where i got my start writing in fantasy football they have some great historical adp so you can go back uh you can go back 10 years in terms of startup adp so there's a lot of stuff to look at in there about how how players have been valued over time some of the changes and some of the mistakes that were made and how to exploit those mistakes so uh, my analysis is basically focusing on 2008 to 2017 so i'm spending the summer writing the book um and then my plan is, is to release it for startup season in 2019. So hopefully January of 2019. I don't have a firm date yet because you guys know with family stuff, you never know what's going to happen. Right. And I got a little one. So, right. uh, you know, uh, but my, t- my intent is to have it ready in people's, uh, for people to read. It's going to be uh, probably a PDF release similar to like Chad, Chad Parsons at UTH has a draft guide that he does as a, as a PDF, similar to how Matt Waldman does it uh, with his RSP, um, similar in sort of how, how it's uh, released in that sense. It's going to be a PDF, uh, lots of charts, lots of graphs, lots of strategic takeaway advice on how to really increase your odds. This is awesome. You'll have to, you'll have to come back and, and, and uh, talk about the book as, as we get closer to the publishing date, Jordan. That, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank, thanks for having me on. I, it's just, I'll come back anytime you guys want. No, it's been no this is awesome. Yeah. No, we appreciate you uh, going through the, these late rounds with us and hopefully we'll win some people some leagues. Hopefully they'll take uh, Bo Scarborough who, when Zeke does something dumb, which he will, uh, that'll, that'll win someone a league. That would, that would be awesome. So um, as a Zeke owner, I should just keep my mouth shut though. Cause I need not to get suspended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Thanks Jordan. Um, we'll, we'll we really appreciate you joining the fantasy Joes. Thanks Jordan. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Jordan McNamara is going to join us for the outro, but, but before we do that, I'm just going to say thanks again for listening to the fantasy Joes. You know, we're at FF Joes on Twitter, the fantasy Joes at gmail.com. Give us your feedback, like subscribe, give us some reviews. Come on. We come at you weekly Monday mornings or late Sunday nights over the summer. Um, don't miss an episode. <laughs> Subscribe. Okay, you can find us on Twitter. Trey is at Trey Barrett. Will is at Fantasy Joe underscore Will. I'm at Roto Librarian, and our guest, Jordan McNamara. I think you're at McNamara Dynasty, right? I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's McNamara Dynasty. It, it's in the show notes, if, if that's not right. So, uh, on behalf, <laughs> and we are. So, so thanks again to, to Jordan McNamara. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood. We are the Fantasy Joes. Fantasy Joe. Fantasy Joe. Fantasy Joe. First ever. All right. Gonna be here next week. I'm just. You can't stop this part. <laughs> I like the falsetto. Well, let's, let's come on. Let's hear some more. <laughs> that. So. Okay, uh, no, no. Just a, <laughs> a little known fact about Will Greenwood that I think Ryan's learning for the first time is I don't have a. So when it comes to social situations, I don't have a courtesy laugh. So when someone tells a joke that they think is funny and I don't, uh, I don't laugh. Like in a group situation, my wife pointed it out to me when we meeting like some of her friends here. She goes, "You just," she goes, "Will you just look at him?" Like 
you don't laugh. You just kind of you just kind of look at him. I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't think it was funny. Like, do I, do I need to laugh? And so my new courtesy laugh is, <laughs> and and that's gonna be that's gonna be it. And it's gonna really come, change come, our social world. Comes across as very authentic. You're doing a nice job. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you really want me to leave that in the show? You can, but it's like so, uh, Jordan. <laughs> so when I laughed at anything you said today, it's actually because it's a real laugh. I don't, I, otherwise, it's just silence. I literally don't have. Uh, I guess it's like a social inequality in, in Will Greenwood. Is I I can't laugh at something I don't think is funny. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the best way possible. I just can't. I think. Yeah, I'll take it as a compliment. It's good. Yeah, it's, 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 that's a great. That's a great way to end the show. <laughs>